Well, this morning we're going to talk about generous worship. And uh, part of what John was sharing this morning is actually going to be next week's message. And then the week following that will be our weekend with Gary Fest. But I really, uh, very rarely do I speak about, uh, I don't know how to put this, but like our worship as a church body. Usually when I, usually when I speak and when I share, I, you know, I, I say I want to preach for our Monday to Saturday, right? Because that's really where it counts. And yet there are some principles the Lord brought me to this week uh, about worship that I think are important for us because it's part of the mandate of our church. So I'm going to call this generous worship. Are you ready? We're going to hear from the Lord and we'll end with a time of worship. Well, thank you that five people on this side are ready. The rest of you will have to get caught up, okay? All right. One of the major doctrinal catechisms written in the 1600s summed up the purpose of humanity in these words. It said, what is the chief end of mankind? And they replied, mankind's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We were created to enjoy God. We were created to enjoy him. We were created to take pleasure and incredible satisfaction in our relationship with Jesus. Enjoying God is not something we think very much about. To be honest, I think the first part of that statement, to glorify God, is where most of the attention goes. And we've just come out of this series where we took the first part of the Lord's Prayer. And I love, I love what I heard Bill Johnson say last night when I was listening to him about the Lord's Prayer. He says we wrongly call it the Lord's Prayer. It's actually the believers or the disciples' prayer because Jesus never sinned. And that prayer says forgive us our debts. So Jesus was actually giving that prayer to us. But we've been looking for the last six, seven, eight weeks on let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we've kind of camped around the glorifying God that our lives are meant to manifest the glory and the purposes and the will of God. That we are the bridge between heaven and earth and we are the vessels through which God's word and power and spirit flow. But we were also made to enjoy him. And, and I want to expand our thinking on this for a moment because what is the major pursuit of people? What are people willing to pay almost any amount of money for, sacrifice, pursue, chase after, be generous towards, even sometimes at the cost of their marriages, their families, and even their faith? Happiness. Enjoyment. We are people that were made to enjoy. And our ultimate enjoyment is found in Jesus Christ. And so I propose to you today that as God's people bought by the blood of Jesus, filled with his very Holy Spirit, we should be generous in our worship of him and expect to enjoy him when we are worshiping him. He should be our pursuit, amen? His presence should be where we find our greatest, our greatest satisfaction. You know, I, I discovered that there's a lot of things in my life that I can easily chase, things that might even look good, things that might even make me more successful at what I do. But there's, there's something I know that I've discovered in my life uh, over the last number of years in my journey with Jesus Christ, and it's this, when his presence manifests, and that word manifest just means we can tangibly feel him. When his presence manifests, there's something in me that says, I'm home. I'm home. All the other noise, all the other things, even good things that I tried to pursue to find that place where my soul could say, I'm home, is found in his presence. And so we're going to talk about that 
this morning because the, the reality is there's a longing he puts in all of us that no amount of money, success, experiences, or relationships can ever satisfy except in him. And so this morning we're going to talk about being generous to God in our worship. Jesus said the Father is looking for those who would worship him in spirit and truth. And I've made this statement before, but I think it's important to this discussion. Jesus didn't say the Father is looking for worship. He doesn't need it. He's God. Do you know that before God created, he was happy and full of joy and full of satisfaction in his relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, dwelt eternally and equally together, and they were fine. He doesn't need our worship, but he's looking for worshipers, looking for people that will exalt him and put him in the right place in their life. And so uh, I think that uh, for those of us who are part of Parkway Church, that when we gather together, that we would be a people that give generous, passionate, and heartfelt worship to our Father, that we just adore His Son, Jesus, because it's His name that is above every name, and we just experience and enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit. When I first came to this church, I've said this before, I, had, uh, I was at district conference this week, and I had the opportunity to run into uh, Gary and Marvel and Shell who some of you know were missionaries to Africa that we had uh, sponsored for many years, and they're now pastoring in London. But we got talking about how when they were here nine months into my, uh, when I started to pastor here, the Lord put a word on their heart, and they came over to me in the middle of worship service, and they said, there is an incredible sense of the grace of the Holy Spirit in this building, and God wants that uh, to let this to be a house of healing for sick bodies and sick souls, that this is going to be a house of healing. And we've been declaring that, amen? But the other thing the Lord showed me very early on in my, in my time here was that this would be a house that knows how to bless the Lord. That when people walk into this place, they would say, I don't understand it. Maybe it's different than how I'm used to seeing it or seeing it at all. But man, these people are passionate about something. They're excited about someone. And the Lord put that on my heart 12 years ago. And we could sense that here this morning when we were applauding and clapping and, and adoring him. Amen. May the Blue Jays never get more applause than Jesus Christ does. The Blue Jays are done. It's time to move on to the Raptors. Okay. All right. And that was a good announcement this morning, wasn't it? He's wearing the Raptor shirt. Amen? And so I believe we already are giving heartfelt worship to God, but let's make it our personal and corporate goal that every time we gather together, we catch the attention of the Father. That we catch His attention. So, 2 Chronicles 2, 5-6. I've been camping out in Chronicles this week. Solomon has written a letter to a neighboring king, giving him the reason for the building of the temple. This is what he writes. He says, The temple I am going to build will be great because our God is greater than all other gods. But who is able to build a temple for him since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him? Who then am I to build a temple for him except as a place to offer burnt sacrifices before him? And so we can read in Solomon's statement that one of the major purposes for gathering together in one location is to offer a sacrifice of praise there's that verse that says, we bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And each one of us can do that. Each one of us has that privilege. We are to bring our worship, our money, our praise, and our lives before him. God has always ordained a central place where people can come and express their generosity to God in giving. Do you understand that? I can be a Christian all on my own because it means I don't have to, I'm not accountable to anyone. And it means I don't have to give of my time, 
the gifts of the Holy Spirit, my money. I don't have to do any of that. I don't have to give my worship except on my terms. But man, I'm telling you this morning, when you start to worship God, when you start to, when I see this this morning, uh, it spurs me on to give more. When I hear your worship and your praise, it spurs me on to give more. And God has called us to that. So in 2 Chronicles 7, 1-4, we can read of God's response to his people after they dedicated the temple and after they've offered up sacrifices before him. The word tells us that when Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of God filling the temple... They fell face down and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, He is good, and his faithful love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices to the Lord. And I love, I don't know why I'm quoting him so much this morning, but I love what Pastor Bill Johnson said in regards to that passage of Scripture. He said, Whenever there is sacrifice, the fire of God will fall. And that's what John was telling us this morning. When we even say, I'm going to sacrifice 5 or $10 of my grocery budget, the fire of God will touch that, and the blessing of God will touch that. Even a glass of cold water given in the name of Jesus doesn't go unnoticed by heaven. Wherever there's sacrifice, fire will follow. So often we sit back and wait for God to do something. If we step out and do what he told us to do, the fire, the Holy Spirit of God will follow. Amen? And so I love this passage. I love this passage because the in the first ever established temple building, as God's people offer up their sacrifices, God came and filled the temple. I love how they keep putting it with his glorious presence. The writer says it almost to the point where you're like, okay, we get it already. But I think he's saying that because he wants us to understand, no, until you experience it, it is glorious. And until you experience it, you won't understand. And so even though Solomon lived in the Old Testament times when their understanding of God was limited and God's purposes were still being explained, uh, the, the reality is, is that he understood that God didn't live in a building. He says, who am I to build it? God doesn't live in a building. But he also understood that God would honor that place as long as his people gathered, offered worship, repented, and brought sacrifices. And this was all part of God's plan. So why was it part of God's plan? Because this temple was a point of contact for God's people. It became a place where people came expecting to bring a sacrifice and to be released from their, from their sin and to be forgiven. They expected God to answer when they prayed and hear them when they praised. Knowing that God didn't dwell and wasn't limited to a building didn't stop God from manifesting his glory and presence there over and over again. Why? Because not because of the building, but because it's the place where God's people gathered. It's the place where the body of, of God, God's redeemed, his called out came. And when God manifests his presence, uh, uh, people say, what does manifest mean? I like to say it's like God is pouring himself. God who cannot be contained by sky or, or, or by anything. Everything that is is contained within the person of God. You realize that. The scripture says that in Isaiah that God literally takes this ever-expanding universe and it says he measures it with the breadth of his hand. He just goes, there it is. That's how big God is. But when we say God manifests, it means it's like he's pouring himself into the moment, into time and space. And what an awesome thing that is when he does that. Amen? And so we enjoy his presence in the moment. Then we leave filled and equipped to bring glory to his son Jesus when we leave. And that's our highest privilege and pursuit. 
And I believe we should experience this every week, every time we gather together. For here's an even greater reality. You and I are New Testament believers. And we understand more fully and more completely that God doesn't reside uh, in a building, but God actually lives in us. In fact, drawing from the Old Testament temple illustration, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6.19, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? God. You do not belong to yourself. The Holy Spirit that manifested in fire uh, in the old uh, covenant temple lives inside you and I. So the glory and power that manifested there lives inside us. And so you and I become the point of contact for God for people. In the Old Testament, before anyone could experience even a second of his presence, there had to be consecration. Sometimes it took days and weeks for people to set themselves aside, abstain, fast, and pray, prepare themselves. They would wash their robes. They would sacrifice animals as a guilt and a sin offering. Blood was poured out, and uh, the, the, the priest would, would be ready. And even then, only a few people could step into the holy place and experience the manifest presence of God. But you and I have already been prepared through the righteousness of Jesus Christ because his blood was shed. He has washed us. And so there is nothing that needs to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that needs to keep us from the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. Even on our worst day, the Spirit of God is still in you. He is still making you the righteousness of Christ. So you can still experience the manifest presence of God. And even on your worst day, uh, the sacrifice is already being paid. So you don't need to stay away from His presence. You just need to repent and ask for forgiveness and ask Jesus' blood to cleanse you so you can step back into His presence. We have so much in Jesus, so much in Jesus that, that even people in the Old Testament who experienced the Bible says that even the priests and the, the musicians, when the fire of God fell, they were so overwhelmed with the glorious presence of God that they couldn't even function. We have something better. We have the Spirit in us, and we have the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so God doesn't live inside this building called Parkway, but when God's people gather together, the Holy Spirit who is in us also manifests among us in very unique and powerful ways. In fact, you know, my prayer lately has been, uh, let me explain it this way. And I had a discussion recently with pastors on Tuesday, actually. And we were saying that, that uh, there's, there, remember in school you learn that there's the constant and there's the variable, Right? And we've always made the constant our programs. We've, in fact, the constant is the thing that, in fact, we fought over. Is it going to be hymns or choruses? Is it going to be suits or jeans? Is it going to be hot or cold? Is it going to be lighting or trees? You know, all that. All uh, the, what, what programs? The, 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 we've made those things the structure of the constant. And then we've said, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will pour into that. I really believe that God wants us to do is make the constant the presence of the Holy Spirit. And everything else is variable to that. Everything else. Because it doesn't matter if people come in. Uh, it, it really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if they come in and if, if we have a great program, a great presentation, if the temperature's right, if they like the music or don't like the music, none of that matters. What matters is, is that they can connect with the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. And that's what needs to continue to matter. Amen? And so even though the Holy Spirit lives in each of us, 
he still manifests among the gathered church in the New Testament. So I want to show you something. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says at the birth of the church, they were gathered together, they were in unity. The Holy Spirit came with the sound of a rushing wind and as of tongues of fire, and they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. The manifested presence of the Holy Spirit, uh, I, I hate to use this term, but showed up at the birth of the church. Visibly, audibly, and in power. In Acts chapter 4, after, after the disciples had been thrown in prison for preaching the gospel of Christ, Peter and John were released from prison. They were beaten and they came back to the church. And in verse 24 of Acts 4 we read, They raised their voices together in prayer to God. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. A second example in the early life of the church of the manifested presence of the Holy Spirit coming and shaking them. Amen. So what's the common thread? The common thread is they were in unity. They were all together. And if you were to read uh, 2 Chronicles 5, 12 to 13, at the dedication of the temple, it says that the musicians and the song leaders and the people all as one voice lifted their voice in unison to God and the fire of God fell. That what they have in common is they were all together in the name of Jesus or in the name of God. They were in unity and the presence of God manifested and filled them and changed them and sent them out full and equipped. Amen? That's the common thread. And there is an incredible anointing that comes when we put our differences aside and gather together, each one connected to the other, each of us adding our worship to the whole and oneness and unity. Psalm 133 tells us that when, when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, it commands the blessing of God. Because I think it's the hardest thing to do. The Bible says, how can we love God who we don't see if we can't love our neighbor who we do see? Because God knows that's the challenge. The challenge is you and I getting together, putting our differences aside, and saying, I love you, you love me, I need you, you need me, and we need him together. When, when the church gets to that place, look out. But I want to show you another principle very quickly, and then we'll wrap up. We've been focusing on prayer for the past few months. And prayer is the spiritual oxygen for the life of believers. Prayer, prayer uh, people say it moves the hand of God, but it doesn't. Uh, but what prayer does is prayer usually moves us and releases God's will on earth. Because God already has a will, he already has a purpose. We, along with many, many churches across this land, thousands of churches, tens of thousands of believers prayed for our election. And there was a landslide election that they say never should have happened. Do we believe God answered our prayers or not? I do. Do you know why? I sat with a group of pastors at district conference, and there was this confidence in us. We may not understand what's happening in our government, but we understand that God wants righteousness to reign across this land again. God is preparing this land for revival. God is preparing this land to be an end-time ambassador to the nations for the cause of Jesus. And how he wants to do that, he knows best. But there was a confidence in all of us that we as the church did our part. And he is in control, and he's sovereign. And I hate to tell you folks this, but the church thrives the greatest in this world when there's an unrighteous government persecuting it. Churches that have the favor of their government leaders have a shelf life because we make it a political agenda. We make morality something that we try to put on people rather than the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. We just say, act like we do, believe what we do uh, in, in the rules and the laws, and we're fine. But we forget 
that it's not just some acquiescence to some standard that's found in Scripture that changes lives, but it's submission to the will and the purpose and the salvation of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, where the church is persecuted, that happens at an exponential rate. Thank you for amending that. I know most people don't get excited about that. Woo! Persecution's coming. I did, no, that's good. I did make the statement a number of months ago. The free ride for us is over. But we believe God answers prayer, amen? None of that was in the notes, so you can go back three minutes, reset your clocks. And so, but I, I'm going to make this statement. Worship can take us where prayer can't. Because God honors prayer. When we declare his word, when we pray his word, when we bind his kingdom's will and agenda to earth, uh, it, it will be accomplished. When we partner with the Holy Spirit and pray, it will be accomplished. But worship will take us where prayer can't. And here's why. Because I have been spiritually dry very recently where I've said, Lord, where are you? I don't sense your presence. God, I am as dry as the Sahara, and yet God has answered prayer, and I'm thankful for that. But worship brings me out of my place of dryness into the very presence of God. So let me make this statement. Uh, prayer releases heaven on earth. Sorry, prayer releases heaven's agenda on earth. Worship releases heaven on earth. Prayer binds God's will to earth. Worship brings God's presence to earth and into my experience. How many have found that to be true? Now, if you have a rigid form of, you know, this is prayer and worship is only singing and lifting up God, then you could disagree with me. But I want you to know when we meet here on a Wednesday night, some of the, some of the Wednesday nights, uh, I hate missing Wednesday night prayer if I ever have to because Wednesday night prayer is where I'm filled. I empty out today. But I'm filled on Wednesday. And even sometimes when we don't have worship, where we have someone playing an instrument and us singing, we always start our Wednesday night prayer time with a time of adoration and worshiping Jesus and declaring his name above every name and declaring his worth and his value. And some in English and some in spirit, we start to worship God. And, and every single week, the power of God, right, John, and those that come, the power of God falls every week. Because when you combine worship and prayer, there's something powerful. And in Acts 16.25, Paul and Silas are beaten. They're thrown in jail for preaching Jesus. And the Bible says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And that's not hymns of glorious praise from the book. That term hymn simply means, uh, the, the word hymns in scripture means songs that exalt God, his character, and declare truths about him. So they were simply, as they were sitting in shackles, sitting in chains, declaring truths about God. Lifting up his name, saying, you're worthy anyways. You are worthy to be praised. And the Bible says that suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Do you realize that God didn't send an angel? God himself showed up in that prison cell and shook. And do you know how I know that? Because there was a Roman law that says that if a prisoner, if, if, a, if, a, if a, a guard if the prisoners escaped, that that was punishable by death. So if you were to read on uh, in Acts, what, what happened is that the Bible says that the, the guy that oversaw the prison warden was about to kill himself. Better to kill yourself than have the Romans do it, folks. 
And Paul and Silas and all the other prisoners shouted out, don't, for we are here. You have these hardened criminals who their chains fall off, the doors open, and they could have got out of there. But they were so touched and transformed by what was going on in the atmosphere in that, in that jail cell that those prisoners stopped and said, you know what, we'll stay. Worship brings us into the manifest presence of God. I can remember one service I was in, and I was actually leading worship. We had about 60 or 70 teenagers. It was one of the youth ministries I was the pastor of, and we were worshiping, and the presence of God was coming in, and kids were just really being touched. My leaders, uh, my adult leaders uh, were being touched by the presence of God, and I was leading worship, and and this girl and her friend walked up, and she's crying, and I'm, I'm at the front leading worship. And I looked at her, and I said, yeah? And she said, uh, I, I, I just want to talk to you. And I said, I'm kind of busy right now. Uh, and I just said, what, what is it you want? And she was weeping and crying and shaking, never stepped foot in church before, first time. But her friends had been sharing Christ with her in the school, invited her. And this was her words to me. She said, I just want this. I just want Jesus. I just want this. I just, I just need it now. And so I told her friend, you take her, you sit down, and you, you explain salvation to her and lead her to Christ. That girl came to Jesus and continued to serve the Lord. Why? Because the manifest presence of God came into that place. Amen? And I think so many of us, when we're faced with heartache, sickness, and needs, and trials, we go to Jesus in prayer. And, and just like we're instructed in Scripture, over and over again, we cry out to him, and it's right and it's proper. But, you know, sometimes being in those battles, it robs God of our praise and robs us of our sacrifice, our generous worship. Paul and Silas were giving generous worship because all their circumstances said complain, moan, feel defeated. But what did they do? They just said as they were praying and worshiping God for who he was. That was generous, folks. That was generous. And God responded with his presence and set them free. And, you know, you can give generous worship to your Heavenly Father, and I believe that when we do that, chains can fall off. I was telling the prayer team before uh, church that when I worked with my, when I was on staff with my dad, oftentimes before service he'd go, oh, this migraine is so bad, son, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And we would pray, but then we'd walk out, and as the worship would start, he'd testify later. He'd go, I got into that second worship and praise song, and my headache just went, just like that instantly was gone. And this would happen numerous times. So I just want to tell some of you folk, expect more. Expect more. When the presence of God starts to manifest, expect more. Say, God, I have given you praise. I've been generous to you. We don't, pray, we don't give to get. But here's the great thing. If the Holy Spirit is starting to manifest on you and you have a sickness in your body, just go, oh, Holy Spirit. I've just been offering praise, no strings attached. I've been generous. I've just been exalting my Father, thanking Jesus. But you are here and you're manifesting. So Holy Spirit, bless this back right now because healing belongs to me because of what Jesus did. I'll worship you, Father, anyways. But this healing is mine. Expect more when the presence of God manifests. Expect more. Amen? And then don't expect it to come back when you walk off the grounds. Because that Holy Spirit that takes what is Jesus and takes those stripes and takes what he applied uh, to our lives, the Holy Spirit is in you and he will continue the work. Amen? This is good preaching. It is. Yeah. 
And so we're not going to read it this morning, but in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20 to 24, King Jehoshaphat was in a battle, and he was facing the battle where the odds were against him, and he probably was not going to win it except the Lord had told him to go. And so this is what he did. It said, getting this, putting the singers in front, they started to sing and praise the Lord, saying, uh, uh, what is it that they sang? Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Incredible Old Testament theme. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his faithful love endures forever. And they did that. And the Bible says that when they showed up to the battlegrounds, when their lookouts went to the top of the hill and looked down into the valley where three different nations were assembled against them, the Bible says they couldn't find one person alive because they all turned on each other and God brought confusion in their midst. I want to tell you something. Worship paves the way and moves enemies and removes obstacles as we lift up the name of Jesus. And it's not, and I know we've heard people say, what worship does is, is it takes our attention off of the circumstances and puts it on God. Absolutely. But it's more than that. It's more than just a mental adjustment. Worship brings the presence of God into our circumstances. And I want you to know something. Sometimes we're waiting for the Spirit to raise up the standard against the enemy. Worship will release the Spirit like a flood so that when the enemy is raised up, the Spirit of God will come in like a flood and wash away your enemies. Amen? And so, when we worship, the Spirit of God falls. It's a taste of what we were made for. When we worship, sick bodies will start to be healed. As we praise, despondency, despair, and dryness will flee before a wave of God's presence. I'm going to wrap up in about four minutes, and we're going to go to a time of worship. And I truly believe the more generous we become in our giving, in our time, and with our worship, the greater God will open that window of heaven and pour in supernatural blessing. And this is true in our personal and devotional times. You know, I testified a few weeks ago. I was sitting on my front step. And I just was burdened down and just feeling very dry. And I read the word, and the word was impacting my life. And I just started to look up at the stars, and I just said, God, you made all that. You, you spoke that into existence. It didn't even take any effort. It was an afterthought, and there it is. And you named each and every one of those stars. You have a name and a purpose for each one of them. And they're uncountable. They're, they're, they can't even be fathomed. Scientists say that it's expanding at a rate we don't understand. And God, you're naming each one of them right now. So what do I have to worry about in the presence of God touched me and gave me such confidence and I wasn't singing it but I was worshiping and adoring the creator who made all that and the Bible says this of my Jesus that by him and through him and for him all things were made that farthest star was made for Jesus Christ by Jesus Christ and he's my savior and he's my friend and the Holy Spirit's making him real to me every day. That's the God I serve. When we start to serve and worship and praise and generously give to that God, things will change. Amen? Amen. All right. So what does generous worship look like? Generous worship, the Bible tells us, is body, soul, and spirit because the greatest commandment uh, is to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Heart is the desires and passions. Soul is your will, your thoughts, your decisions, and your emotions. And strength is get your body into it. We, we, we should leave church, I think, a little hoarse and a little sweaty. You know what I mean? That's okay. One, one of the things that uh, has been consistently said about our congregation, Lori Gibbons, our district superintendent, stood on the front seat there. He leaned over to me and he says, I can hear your people singing. He says, I was just in a church. 
he says, where the, the, the worship team was leading and people were drinking their lattes, they were on their phone. He goes, the worship was excellent, bar none. He goes, but people weren't entering in. He says, your church knows how to lift up their voices and sing. And he says, covet that because that pleases the heart of God right there on the front row. So I commend you and bless you for that this morning. But generous worship is worshiping God in every circumstance. Not for every circumstance. We can get stupid but worshiping him in every circumstance. Generous worship is saying, if you never, ever do anything for me in this circumstance, I'll praise you anyways, Jesus, because it was already a price paid. I'm just going to go on record as saying, you cannot give generous worship to God and not have your circumstances change. I will go on worship. Generous worship is letting yourself and your body, your spirit and your soul go farther than you've ever gone before. So here's some of the ways the Bible instructs us to honor the Lord. I've got the scriptures up on the screen, and so I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to tell you there's speaking and there's declaring. That's what I was doing that morning when I was declaring the truths about the Creator. There's shouting, there's singing, there's bowing, there's standing, and yes, there's dancing. I've always wondered why it's okay for people to bust a move at a wedding, but not in church. Right? I can remember the first time I ever danced before the Lord. It was in Bible college. And I was going through some stuff. And I was praying and I was seeking God. And remember what I said, worship will take you where prayer alone can't. And I'd been praying and seeking God. And the Lord just told me this. The Lord just says, Jay, what is going to break this is if you dance before me. So I kept praying and seeking the Lord and pressing into him. <laughs> and the Lord said, Jay, what's going to break this is you dance before me. And I said, why? Because the Lord says, your pride needs to be broken. And you need to find joy and delight in me. And I said, but Lord, I'm not a dancer. He goes, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> and he brought me to sport events I'd been to where I would start to dance. He, he brought me to circumstances where I got so excited I couldn't help but dance. And he says, I'm worthy of that. Instruments. Psalm 33, 2 and 3, clapping, lifting of hands. And then 1 Corinthians 14, 15 tells us that we can sing in our native language or in the spirit. Psalm 98, 4 tells us that with loud shouting, joyful noise. Now, I know some people say there are times to be quiet before the Lord. And I've instructed our church that when we get to those moments of quietness where no one's doing anything, that's not the time for the prophetic utterance or for someone to... Those are moments when God is doing something deep in people, and people have testified that to me. So there's times just to be quiet. Sometimes I think a generous act of God would be for us just to do this. But I'd probably be generous for your spouse as well. No, I'm just... <laughs> My spouse isn't here, so... But the Bible says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Again, again... I've been in very noisy atmospheres. And it was noisy because people were excited and had nothing to do with God. It's okay to be noisy before him. And the reason I'm giving you that foundation is, is it's so easy for people to say, well, that's how the Pentecostals worship. It's how the Bible tells us to worship. The Bible tells us. Now, I know that people can, people can have a physical response. We are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. It comes down to having a life of worship walking in obedience to Jesus. I understand that. But as we are looking at us as a body of Christ, I really believe, number one, we need to enjoy him. 
Number two, we need to express generous worship to him as a body. Let's be known as a house that knows how to bless the Lord. And number three, we need to expect more as we come into his presence. So we're going to have the worship team come. And this is what, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Let's just spend a few minutes and worship him. And you say, well, you haven't made time to pray for needs yet. Well, let me say this. As I've been praying into this this week, I believe that some of you are going to feel the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. And whatever your need is, when that happens, you have permission, I believe, from God himself to just say, okay, Lord, you are on me. And now I pray that you would intervene. I pray that you would heal. I pray that you would touch. And if any of you start to feel a manifestation of healing in your life or your body, Come find me on the front seat and speak to me, and we'll testify to that. Amen? And I'm going to say this, Dave, and I don't mean to keep coming back to it, but uh, I, was, I was watching, and this seems like it's off base, and if you don't know me, it might seem a little weird, but if you know me, you'll know just how I flow. I was watching last night a documentary on the movie Back to the Future, okay? <laughs> And it was just talking about how it's remained popular for over 30 years. But they were interviewing Michael J. Fox, who has what? Parkinson's disease. And I immediately came back to your dad, who was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, Dave. His mind wasn't there. And I'm just saying this respectfully. When Pastor Leo was on staff, we would be in staff meetings, and he'd start to talk, and we'd say, what, what discussion is he a part of? Like, whoa, ho, ho. His body was breaking down. And we know that Parkinson's is, is degenerative. But when he stood at this altar and got prayed for by the teenage girls in our church and the Holy Spirit of God manifested and Jesus healed him. When I was at Kaylee's uh, reception Sunday night and your dad was clear as a bell, speaking firmly, no shaking, walking without a walker, without a cane, went and even got his own food and sat down and ate with nothing. There, there was something inside me, Dave, that was going, thank you, Jesus, that you still heal Parkinson's disease. And last night as I watched that documentary and I was watching Michael J. Fox, I said, Jesus, thank you for doing that. Thank you that it didn't degenerate for Leo Duster. Because I'm telling you, folks, the presence of God can do that. And just for all you cynics out there, we have the doctor's note. It's signed by the specialist saying that it's gone. And they can't explain it. They don't understand it. They don't understand it. How can he be on medication one day and months later be totally off it like he never... In fact, your dad was restored to even what he was like before he was sick. Jesus Christ can do that when we're in his presence. Amen? So let's stand. Even before the team sings, can we just worship him if you're comfortable doing this? Come on. Give him a sacrifice, a generous praise offering this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you, God. And if you're visiting, you just be comfortable where you're at doing what you just feel comfortable to do. This is just between each one of us and him this morning. Oh, come on, somebody lift up the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank you that.